Uh, we like to joke that the anointing's in the front. It's not actually true. It's a joke. Although, I remember one time we had a visiting speaker here, and I was following him around the room as he was praying for people, and I was running, an, a, a, I was running scientific experiments. I would get close to him, right next to him while he was praying, and I would sense what I sensed, and I said, hmm, interesting. I walked 10 feet away, sense, hmm. Walk 30 feet away, hmm, interesting. Go closer again. I said, interesting. I said, hey, listen, there's like a bubble of warmth and energy buzzing around you in about a six-foot radius. And he's like, well, duh. I said, what is that? He's like, it's the glory of the Lord. Rolls his eyes at me like I'm dumb. One time I was praying for somebody right here, right here. We're, I'm praying for Psalm 91. I'm praying for peace. I'm praying for the refuge of the Most High. And I go, oh, I got to get my physical Bible so I can read the whole thing. I jump off the stage and it's cold. And I go, what? Palpably cold here. I grab my Bible and I, go, and I test it out because this is the kind of person I am. I test this stuff out. Do you know what I mean? Like if this stuff's real, maybe we could learn about it and cooperate with it. That's actually part of spiritual maturity is learning how to treat the spiritual realm as real and navigate it. Are you with me? And not just because human, Americans are so materialistic. What is real is I have a big house and a car and that's how I know I matter. What's real is like what you can scientifically prove, right? But there's a spiritual realm that your Bible takes for granted. So I come back up and I go, and I'm like, I'm asking God, what is that? And basically what he said was, it's the angel that's flaming up around you as you're ministering. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm going to read some stuff from Acts chapter 20 for you. From Miletus, Paul sent a message to the church in Ephesus asking the elders of the church to meet him. And when they came to him, he said, you yourselves know how I lived among you the entire time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with humility and tears, enduring the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. I did not shrink from doing anything helpful, proclaiming the message to you and teaching you both in public and from house to house. I testified both to Jews and to Greeks about repentance toward God, about faith toward our Lord Jesus. And now, as a captive to the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit tells me in every city that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. But I don't count my life of any value to myself. If only I can finish my course and the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will ever see my face again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am not responsible for the blood of any of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. By the way, he's getting that directly out of Ezekiel, straight out of Ezekiel. Paul must have lived in his Bible. Ezekiel says, if I tell you to call someone to repentance and you don't, their blood's on your head. You're guilty. 
But if you warn them, you're innocent. And if they repent, you've saved them. But if they don't, you're still innocent. Only they are responsible. So Paul says, I'm innocent, Ephesian church, of your blood, because I'm no coward. I'm no coward. I care more about getting you ready for Jesus than I care about whether you like me. So I'm free to love you. We're really not free to love until we stop needing people to behave a certain way for us to love them. Right? You can nod, and if you can't nod, you can say, ouch. Keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock which God has set you as overseers. Shepherd your own heart first. Shepherd your own heart first. I tell this story so many times. My cousin Jeremy sent a couple of his into a week-long counseling Christian gospel ministry thing because they came to him saying, our kids are a disaster. So he didn't send the kids to counseling. He sent the parents to Colorado for a whole week. And God let their own hearts be healed. Stuff inside them got changed. And they came home and they said to Jeremy later, I don't understand what happened, but our kids are just so much better behaved. You get it yet? You know, and I've said this a lot. The lady comes to the front. You got to pray for me. My husband pushes all my buttons. Puts his hand, the pastor puts the hand on the lady's head. Jesus, we give you permission to remove all her buttons. What? You're supposed to be praying for my moron husband and stop being a moron. Well, we'll pray for him too, but shepherd yourselves first and all the flock, which he obtained. I'm just going to read the whole verse again. Keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. Shepherd that your people need shepherding. People need encouragement. People need nurturing. People need guidance. I hear dumb stuff. People say, ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. If you, if you feel like that, if people are a burden, not a blessing, if you're just mad at people for having issues, that's how we know. That's like a gut check. I'm no longer motivated by love, if that's how I think. Because love is patient. I bet if I grow in love, I'll be patient. I bet I'll see the benefit of the person who's... When I'm in the flesh, this is how I feel. I go, just grow up and you won't have a problem. Just walk by faith. Tim, they need help walking by faith. Little baby chicks are vulnerable. Little baby chicks, their whole job, their whole job is this. You've seen this, right? You've seen chicks. You get near them, they feel the vibrations, they hear the sound, and they go, I'm ready. Give me the food. And if they fall out of the nest too young, they're toast, dude. They're toast. There's a, there's a, there's a growing up that people have to do. So we need shepherding. You know, Joe Bontrager told me years ago, pastoring is parenting. Because I said, oh, man, parenting books. Do I have to read parenting books? Parenting books. I just thought that sounded so boring. I want to read about God. I don't want to read about parenting books. And he said, well, here's a little sneaky trick, Tim. Parenting and pastoring are the exact same thing. No difference whatsoever. So every pastoring book you've ever read is a parenting book, and every parenting book you've ever read is a pastoring book. Did I say that correctly? Or did I say the same thing twice? 
People need shepherding. People need nurture. People need encouragement. People need guidance. People need comfort. People need assurance. You know, where two or three are gathered, Jesus is in the midst. Which means, which means the Lord's commanded a blessing to flow when sincere believers come together in agreement with one heart and one purpose and go after God. So the enemy loves to take people who are not yet mature enough in the faith and get them off by themselves. You take a little chick out of the nest too young, they can't fly. They can't hunt food yet. They, can't, they don't know stuff yet. Man, I'm that guy who grabs chicks or little, little birds that fall out of the trees in the storms. I am. I'm that guy who picks them up, picks them up, and tries to hide them near where the nest, near the tree they fell out of in the, in the shrubbery in the hopes that their moms can hear them cheapen before the cats hear them. I'm that weirdo that cares about, you know, sparrows and robins and... Chicken walked straight up to me the other day in Seaford. What is a chicken doing in Seaford? I couldn't help myself. Guys, I love eating chickens. I love eating them birds. But suddenly one shows up vulnerable and alone, and I had to take it in a box to Dennis Yatuzis up at Greenwood. Okay? People are like that. It's so easy to be mad at people for how they're not yet mature enough to thrive. But there's a growing slowly into Jesus. Paul says, I'm in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. It's like you got pregnant with God. That sounds real weird. But there's a maturing process. And Paul's in, in agony, in prayer, for Christ to be formed so that their perspective will be single and pure and clear. And they'll see clear. And they will no longer struggle with the things that used to trip them up and eat their lunch. But there's a growing process. We need shepherding. Keep watch over yourselves and over the, all the flock which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own son. And there's just emphasizing how precious people are to God. Every single person you see, no matter how much a fool they're currently acting, is worth the blood of Jesus. Amen. It's real easy, isn't it? to be motivated by something other than love and stop seeing people that way. I know that after I've gone, savage wolves are going to come in among you, not sparing the flock, and some from your own group are going to distort the truth in order to entice disciples to do what? Follow me, 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 me. Ministry as a means of my insecurities being dealt with. Guys, it's never about ministry. It's never about ministry. It's always about relationship with Jesus. People don't need my ministry. They don't need counseling. They don't need prayers. They don't need church. They don't need any of that. You know what they need? They need Jesus, which is why we pray and why we counsel and why we have churches. So I'm kind of half kidding when I say they don't need. But what I'm saying is if our mindset is ministry will save me, you're going to stay stuck a long time getting a lot of ministry. If your mindset is an experience with the Holy Spirit's going to heal me, then you're going to seek a lot of experiences with the Holy Spirit and still be stuck afterward. Because the Lord never says, an encounter will make you free. He says what? What's going to make you free, guys? The truth. The point of those experiences is for you to believe the God who you encountered. And none of those experiences. Ask the Israelites in the wilderness if I'm right. Water from the rock. We just sang about it. Manna on the ground. His glory... At night and in the daytime, 
And yet, after all those encounters with the Lord, they didn't believe the God of the encounter. They didn't trust the God. Truth makes you free. Truth makes you free. And these people want to come in and get people to follow them. Follow me and you'll be free. I doubt that. Follow me and then I'll know who I am is really what that's about. Leaders who don't know who they are need people to follow them so they can find themselves through their followers adoring them. And guys, that's most of us, apart from Jesus, in most of our relationships. I don't know who I am. I don't really like me, but I hope if you like me enough, I'll start to like what I don't like, namely me. Well, that's a zero. That's a big zero. Distort the truth, get other people to follow them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to warn everyone with tears. So if you're going to make points out of the sermon, there's three real quick points. Number one, you can't be a coward and be a good, good shepherd. Actually, I'll just say this. You can't be a, a coward and be a good Christian. Warning people is a part of our deal, not just encouraging people. Rebuking people is a part of our thing, not just you know, strengthening and nurturing and, 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 and including people. There's a, there's, a, there's a deception in the world that says love, love is defined by how you how, how I feel about the interaction we're having. So if I feel bad about this interaction, it must not be love. What a demonic lie, and it has gripped our culture heavily. Love is seeking what's best for the other person. That's love. And sometimes it's the best thing you can do for another person is to expose them to the lie that has them bound so that they have the option of getting free and believing the truth that will make them free. Which means if you're a Christian in leadership, part of our job is to speak the truth. So we can't be cowards. But some people are jerks. And they enjoy finding themselves brave and strong when they're just a bully. They're just mean. They're blunt. They're rude. They're proud. They're not meek. And Paul says, I warned you guys with what? With tears. So be, be brave would be point number one. Point number two is, is real closely connected to it. Be kind. Be kind. I'm probably not ready to rebuke you if I have not found God's heart for you yet. If my correcting you is because I'm frustrated with you for my own sake, it's not yet love. I'm not yet ready. I once got a word of correction for a friend. I wrote it out, and then I wept over it for a week. And then I brought it to the friend, and I trembled, and I read this little message that I thought was God, but I didn't say, this is the Lord. I asked him if it was the Lord. And I said it with tears. And at the end, I looked up and he was crying too. And he said, that was all God. And I needed to hear it. And then he gave me the biggest hug. It's amazing. I think, I think there are some people who don't have ears to hear and no amount of gentleness is going to break through that hard, hard heart. But actually, there's a bigger percentage of people that if our heart reflects the love and mercy and kindness and sweetness of Jesus, they'll put their defenses down and really listen. I'm not trying to put guilt on us that when people don't receive our words, it's always us. That's not what I'm saying. 
We're called to be brave. We're called to be kind. Speaking the truth where? In love. If my motive isn't love, I'm in trouble. If you're like me and you're asking the Lord, give me more of the gifts of the Spirit, I want to hear your voice. I want to see what you see. And he shows me things about you. And then I'm not motivated by love. Now that information is being used to judge. It's being used to defend me. It's being used to play a chess game where self's still on the throne and my motive's not right. But if my motive is love, he can tell me anything because I will always use the information for their sake, for their sake, for their sake. You, you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, God, God's kind of been speaking, breathing that on me this week, and I'm like, oh, that's an upgrade. I want more of that. I want love. You know, he can tell himself anything. And when my heart matches his heart, he can tell me anything. See, do you ever notice how Jesus walks into a room and he can perceive what's going on inside people's hearts? It's because his motive is love. So God the Father can entrust him with any, anything. So speaking the truth in love. Three years I didn't cease, night or day, to warn everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God. Ugh, blown away by Paul. I commend you to God and the message of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are set apart for God. I coveted no one's, I got a comment on that. I'm blown away by Paul's ability to leave, to leave Christians behind and go on to the next place. I'm blown away by that. And here's, here's what I'm blown away by. The reason he was able to do it was because of how much faith he had in the gospel's ability to transform and to, to, to transform and to guide and to bring to genuine, genuine holiness, genuine maturity, the believer. Unbelievable faith that the gospel changes hearts and lives. Incredible faith. That's not human-powered transformation. That's what a lot of us know. We know the power of social shame. In fact, our culture loves using the power of shame. Disapproval is another word for that. Public, the disapproval of the group will control at least the outward display of the individual. Can't really touch the heart. But there's no life in it. And Paul says, I believe in the transforming power from the inside out of the gospel. I had a friend come to me and say, what are the rules of this church? What are the moral contracts you make members sign and leaders sign before they're allowed to serve in leadership? I said, what? What do you mean? He said, well, do you have rules and like laws, bylaws of the church? Like no one here is allowed to smoke. No one here is allowed to drink. No one here is allowed to watch rated R movies. And he just had a list already ready. At his... And I said, I already have the word of God. I think it's long enough. I don't think it needs more additions to it. And it certainly doesn't need me having more faith in our ability to make fences around the believer's what about relationship with Jesus sets people free? What about a process of growth? Right. I just didn't even have a grid. I said, you know, that, that actually violates my understanding of gospel ministry, what you're saying. It violates my core values of grace and truth and gospel and freedom. I'm like, dude, that's just... I get why you're saying that. 
That's a human response to other people sinning. And so instead of pastoring the people who sin, we make a bylaw. Do you know what I mean? It's what we do as humans. We go through a painful experience, and then instead of let Jesus heal us and keep directing us, we let pain avoidance become our motive, and we internalize beliefs about the world that are not his truth, and now we're no longer led by love. Now we're living on defense against that ever happening again. You know, I worked with my own hands to support myself and my companions, and I've given you an example that by such work we must support the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, for he said, it's more happy, it's more fulfilling, it's more gratifying. Okay, the word was blessed, but I'm trying to let it speak. It's more fulfilling to give than to take. Guys, don't ever forget it's a massive privilege. It is a wild, undeserved, incredible privilege that we get to serve people in Jesus' name. It's, a, it's not a burden. Okay, fine. Sometimes it can be a burden. But it's a privilege to carry people's burdens. It is a privilege to help carry people's burdens. And when Paul finished speaking, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping among them. And they embraced Paul and they kissed him. And they grieved, especially because he said that they would not see him again. And he brought them to the ship. And then I think the next verse in some translation says, After we tore ourselves away from them, we set sail. (laughs) I love that. Oh, it's good stuff. So, can't be a coward, called to be brave. Can't be a jerk, called to be kind. And I have one more thing that I just want to say by way of affirming uh, both of you gentlemen. I felt weird just there to call you gentlemen, but you are gentlemen in the truest sense of that word. Romans 5 says that character produces hope. That means a hopeful perspective doesn't come from good circumstances. It comes from spiritual maturity. We often think that someone's not doing well because their circumstance is not doing well. And someone is doing well because things are going well for them. And it's not true. Character produces hope. I heard Bill Johnson say, the person in the room with the most hope has the most influence. And I thought, I wish that were true. Sometimes the person who's the most bitter exhibits the most influence. As other people are moved with human sympathy, soulish human compassion. And they say, oh, you poor dear, I'm so mad at those people who hurt you this way, let's fix this. And they grieve and they take on their burdens in the wrong way and they don't help that person get rooted in Jesus and forgive and get free. They help that person get more solidified in the self-pity that's got them bound already to where they feel completely victimized by some other human. And now maybe they were victimized by another human. I'm not saying they weren't. But even if they were, how about we get them set free and let them forgive and rise up and not let their identity be tainted by what this person failed to see about them. But Bill Johnson made a really interesting point and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I would change the phrase to say, the person in the room with the most hope deserves to have the most influence. Because I'm pretty sure despair 
panic, resentment, worry, none of that's of God. When our thoughts, when we're hearing the voice of the Lord, doesn't Romans 8, 6 say that the mind of the Spirit is what? Life and peace. That's another way of saying the voice of Jesus, when I'm in agreement with it, brings me life and peace. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, what do prophets do? Strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Well, that's interesting. What, what are prophets? They just, we just say what Jesus is saying. The person line, aligned, the heart aligned with God is flooded with hope. Why? Because it's shielded by faith. Amen. And there's a reason I feel really good about these two gentlemen being in a position of leadership. When the poop hits the fan, they are fine. They stand upright. They trust in Jesus. They do the next right thing. Even if the next right thing is, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I've seen good fruit coming out of these boys. You're probably uncomfortable with me talking this positively about you in public. But it's true, isn't it? Character produces hope. Sometimes we get enamored with people who are gifted or skilled. God's pretty bored by giftedness. But you know what he delights in? A heart that has reverence, trembles at his word. I, the Lord, live in a high and holy place. Heaven can't contain me. What's the house you're going to build for me? I'm quoting Isaiah 66. What's the house you're going to build for me? But I'll tell you where I live. I'll tell you where I live. I'll tell you where my delight is. It's in the one who's lowly and meek, who trembles at my word. When I give them an instruction, they run and do it. They seek my presence out. They're not trusting their own opinions. They're finding my heart on the matter. That's who I live with. That's who's fit for a king. Psalm 25, you confide in those who fear you. Look, God's available to everyone, but his secrets are only shared with the ones who have already shown him they're going to take good care of those things. You you go, what? That sounds like favoritism. Listen, he resists the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Our attitude matters. You guys ready? Can you boys get up here? And uh, leaders, Mark as well, are you guys okay if I smear some cocoa butter on your heads? It's dermatologically tested. Can you guys extend a hand toward them? Oh, and by the way, if you forgot to pray and fast this week for them, could you pray and fast next week? God's outside of time, so to speak, so it's fine. He's, he's, He's cool with that. Like pick a day, don't eat nothing all day, And devote the time you would have eaten. And every time you feel the hunger pains, say, God, I want you more. Put your blessing on Carl and Stan. Fill them with your power. Fill them with your love. You you cool with that? Because I'm not going to like say, raise your hands if you remember to fast this week. I'm not doing that. (laughs) All right. name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. More. More. name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. More. More. God, I thank you for Stan. I thank you for a a true prophet. Thank you for a true prophet of the Lord. 
a seer, someone who sees, you know, like you said, Stan, I, I'm, I may be blind, but I see an awful lot. Someone who delivers the word with humility. Someone who's willing to be checked. Someone who's willing to have his words be tested. Someone who's willing to repent if they miss it or don't shepherd someone's heart correctly. Thank you, God, for a man who you can trust with more. We pray for an upgrade of power in Jesus' name, for an upgrade of authority in Jesus' name. Teach him things that up to now, they simply have not occurred to him. In Jesus' name, let him shepherd well. Let him run well. Keep his heart safe. Remind him of the power of his prayers, God. God, thank you for Carl. Thank you for a man of grace. Grace and patience with people. Grace and patience for sinners. Grace and patience for sinners. Grace and patience for sinners. Thank you for a man who can see past how someone's behaving to the son underneath, to the child that's, whole, that's beloved, beloved by the father. Carl, I feel like I feel like you're one of the men around me that is healthy for me because the prodigal son story, you share that heart of the father that is not so enraged about what the son's doing, but rather you're just wanting the son to come home and get free. So I bless, Carl, I bless you with more. I say more of that, God, even more of that wisdom. There's a wisdom that that mercy brings. That mercy brings a wisdom because mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If we're going to err, let's not err on the side of judgment. And Carl's been a man who's helped me err on the side of mercy, and I found that it usually it wasn't an error at all. Speaking the truth in love. So we've heard good words this morning, spirit-directed words, and I'm grateful for that. And... Um, one of the things I love is how God gives gifts to the church. He raises up people. Uh, we need people. We need each other. Um, there's kind of a little bit of a mystery in how God takes a calling like this and through a ceremony, you might say, changes a life. I often say a wedding is very simple ceremony, but it changes a life. And so I hope in a way that you guys are embracing that today. It's not that this is some kind of amazing thing, but we're saying together, God's call is on your life for this time and this place. And uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that God raises people up. Stan, I don't know you as well as Carl, but I'm grateful for this testimony of your calling and kindness. May God just continue to affirm in you what you heard this morning there in the message about how the Apostle Paul uh, cared for people. That was rich. Mm -hmm. Go back there to chapter 20 mm -hmm. of Acts again and again. Whatever God teaches you, whatever you have found to be helpful in your life, my brother, share with others. There's something that is powerful when your own experience has changed your life and you can share that mm -hmm. with others. And that's my prayer for you, Stan. And today, as we have taken a few minutes here to formally say, we as a church recognize this calling. Uh, may God fill you in new ways with authority and with gifting for this calling. Carl, you've always amazed me. Mm. Your spirit's been so special. You've been kind to me, not just me, but so many others as
Tim was just sharing, and I love that about you. And I'm sensing, I don't know that I know this, but I'm sensing that this is not a little moment for you. That you're quite aware again today that the call of God carries responsibility. That's right. But don't be burdened by it. No. I don't want to. <laughs> I, I love how God equips us for what he calls us to do. Yeah. He really does invite you to cast your cares and burdens on him. That's right. One of the best things that can happen to us is to know it's not our work, it's his. That's right. That's right. Um, then we get to relax and kind of be spectators of what he does. Amen. You know, the more we think we're responsible, uh, the less effective I think we're going to be. But the more we know we are his workmanship and people are his workmanship. Right. You've walked in that in a good way, Carl. I respect you so much. Mm. Thank you. And as we, my daily prayer, um, it's a rare day. I don't pray for you. And mm. Rusty, I don't see Rusty today. <laughs> Do you know where Rusty is? No. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not trying to find fault, but um, as I think of this church, and day after day, week after week, praying, God, please bring what's needed. And I even say, keep away what's not needed, you know, because sometimes that's better, but you're needed for this Mm. time. And I hope God gives you just a new sense of, um, I don't know what the word is, authority. You know, when you discipline somebody else's kids, mm. you can get in trouble in a hurry, even mm. if they need it. Mm. But when you, yeah. <laughs> when you take care of your own responsibility, we kind of expect that. In a way, you're at a different place now. Mm-hmm. You're not stepping out of line when you step into a level of um, responsibility here. Let me pray for you guys. Father, I'm so grateful mm. for Carl and Stan, for their families, for their lives for this calling. I thank you for Tim. Lord, you've given him mm-hmm. the ability to hear from you and speak it well. Amen. And I pray that there'll be growing mm-hmm. maturity. Mm-hmm. Lord, numbers aren't nearly as important as people growing up. And Jesus, you take care of the other. Let this be a place where your word, the work of Jesus, where Jesus is lifted up. He made a great promise. I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. Mm -hmm. Let us be that kind of a people, Lord, in our personal lives, as a congregation, times of fellowship and relationship. And Lord, open new doors for Carl and Stan. Mm -hmm. Do a new thing in them and through them. And uh, let there be peace to cover their lives. Send your angels, your captain of the hosts of heaven, master of demons and angels. I pray that you'll turn every scheme of the enemy into good. Jesus said that a kingdom divided against itself can't stand, and I don't know how that could work in the demonic, but turn them against each other, Lord, so that we can be a better people and more effective for you. And turn everything, Lord, into good as you promised in Jesus' name. As I was standing here, God kept saying to me that you both are great counselors. And the reason you're great counselors is because you allow him to counsel you. And that my prayer for you guys is that you're going to go even deeper with Jesus. Each and every day, you're going to feel his presence even heavier and heavier. This 
Tim has no idea what 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 he's doing. <laughs> no, no, I don't. No, 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 no. Just, just, just bear with me. Just bear with me. Just bear with me. So about 15 years ago, with another denomination, I had this opportunity, and the Lord shut the door. And at the time, it it just hurt so bad, you know. And the Lord did not forget the dream that he gave to me. And this means so much to me today. Y'all have no idea, you know. And I take this very serious, you know, because I know that God didn't leave me alone and he didn't let the dream go, you know. He kept, he kept the dream alive, you know, and this, this day was so amazing and important. You know, when Tim brought this to me, it just like, just, it was like a bomb was dropped on me from the Lord. And it just, it's just been so good, you know, so good. And it's just been, you know, like sometimes we don't realize, you know, the Lord, the Lord shuts doors for reasons and, and he opens other doors. And this was a long time coming, but the Lord knew the timing, the Lord knew when it was appropriate and when it was right. And the time is right, and it's right now. So I just, I just felt like I needed to share that. I'm going to send Carl and Stan to the foyer. And we will have the prayer team up front. So Gateway Fellowship, I bless you in the name of Jesus. This week with peace. With the peace of Jesus, I speak peace to you. Peace be with you. Amen. Amen.